This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Well, it's, it's a, also a pleasure to introduce our last but by no means least uh, speaker, Sam Hoggard. Uh, Sam, who is well known to many of you, uh, has had a long uh, and will continue to have a distinguished career at UCSF. Uh, he started his career there as a research fellow in neonatology in 1982. Uh, subsequently, was chair of the Department of Pediatrics. In 2007, became the interim dean of the School of Medicine. In 2009, he became the permanent dean of the School of Medicine and vice chancellor for health affairs. Uh, and under his leadership in the School of Medicine, the School of Medicine uh, has flourished. Uh, it is number one in the nation in terms of NIH monies. Uh, it is outstanding uh, in each of the areas of research, education, uh, and clinical service. Um, and in April 1st, I believe it was, Sam took on responsibilities as interim dean of cha- uh, interim cha- uh, chancellor uh, in recognition of his leadership capabilities uh, and the tremendous support he enjoys at, at, at UCSF. Uh, Terry Leach had, uh, in her presentation this morning, had a little phrase which I think uh, very well captures and capsulizes uh, Sam. It said, talked about uh, <clears throat> uh, intense determination and profound humility. And I think what Sam has done is characterized both by uh, a relentless effort to uh, execute uh, and certainly profound humility. I've certainly enjoyed very much working with him, observing his leadership, and it's a pleasure to have him here this afternoon. Thanks, Sam. Thank you very much, Jack, and uh, it's a pleasure to be here today and to, I think this is the third colloquium that I have uh, attended and each one has left me inspired as has today and I would like to begin just by congratulating uh, all of the participants in, in today's session. I think it was about a year or so ago that Jack and I and Terry met with uh, a group of the, of the uh, CHQI fellows and we were discussing what, what were the biggest challenges and issues that faced them. And clearly it was this issue of working a- across the silos within UC Health, working across the uh, campuses, uh, this ability uh, to, to actually spread their wonderful ideas. And it's great uh, to hear just a year later how much progress has in fact been made. So congratulations to you all. Jack mentioned personal humility and then gave me the title, Future of Healthcare. It seems like the height of hubris uh, to uh, try to talk about such a a subject uh, to this audience in particular. So I am going to try to uh, just just frame the discussion, by no means try to uh, cover the future of healthcare, but try to frame the discussion as it relates to UC Health. And I think you'll, you'll see, somewhat to my distress as the day went by, that many of the points I'm going to make have already been made, but I will just emphasize uh, some of them. So before uh, talking about the future, I would like to just show two slides that uh, represent the past. And I think 
demonstrate the tension that Karl Dvorak uh, uh, said he was going to show us a video this morning and couldn't show it, but that tension between our perceived reality, which is one of concern and anxiety, but the actual facts, which should be, for the most part, uh, facts that uh, make us celebrate uh, how far we have become. So I'll show just uh, two slides. The first, the celebration slide. And that is just how far we've come. In the United States, over the last century, life expectancy has increased by 60%, from 47 years a century ago to 77 years in the year 2000, and now is uh, over 80 years life expectancy. That's just as well for someone like me, because 50 years ago I would have had a 50% chance of actually being alive to give this talk today. So I, I think we, we can't lose sight of the fact of just how far health, medicine, all of the allied uh, disciplines have come. Obviously a lot of that is public health, uh, but um, it's a tremendous success story. So why are we so anxious? So uh, the, the yellow circle up above is the United States. You probably can't read it accurately here, but the y-axis is the per capita expenditure on health in the United States, and the x-axis is the income per person. The size of the bubble is the size of the total spend. So we are a wealthy country, as represented by our movement on the x-axis. I hope this works. So this is the, the change over the last decade. And this is generating the anxiety. Obviously, the amount of money that is being spent per capita on each individual in the United States has reached essentially an unsustainable uh, a point. There's also, and I won't show you the data, but there's any number of data slides that show as a country, obviously we have some of the best health care in the world, but as a country we have a remarkably uh, high degree of variance. Uh, and as a country on the quality axis, we also do not perform well. So something has to be done about cost and something has to be done about quality. And so the question I think that that last uh, slide uh, shows is are we in fact at a hinge of history? I came across this slide, uh, this phrase, not so long ago uh, when I was reading actually a wonderful book for those of you who, who like to read about the history of the University of California. It's called The Uses of the University and it was written by Clark Kerr uh, and summarizes a series of lectures he gave at Harvard in the early 1960s. And he said this, that the University of California was at a hinge of history in 1963. And if you read that book, the reason he said that 40 years ago, many of the same conditions exist now. The rest of his quote was, we are at a hinge of history. We must remain connected to our past, but swing in new directions. And I think in terms of healthcare, we are at a hinge of history. And obviously I'm not the only pundit that has said such a thing. Uh, we must remain connected to the successes of our past, but we must be prepared to swing in new directions. Now, at the AAMC meeting last year, Ian Morrison, who is a futurist, and uh, I've been reading also quite a bit of Ian Morrison's work because we engaged 
the institute that he created some years ago called the Institute for the Future. Uh, UCSM engaged them to be our consultants on a long-term ideation or visioning progress we are doing right now that we are calling UCSF 2025. We're trying to look ahead 10 years and imagine what a healthcare, academic healthcare organization and uh, a health science university should look like. By his own admission, Ian Morrison defines a futurist as someone who makes sweeping generalizations. But he got the attention of everyone at the AAMC last year when he said that in his opinion, as a futurist, we are looking at a very different health system in five to 10 years, which is not that far in the future, with just 100 large, powerful systems being the dominant actors going forward. Now, 100 on one hand seems like a large number, but when you're talking about the United States of America, 100 health systems dominating healthcare is in fact a very small number. There are 400 academic medical centers today. So his prediction is somewhere in the next five to 10 years, there will be this enormous consolidation in the healthcare marketplace. Another phrase that Morrison has used is the triple threat meets the triple aim. And here he's talking about the future, not of healthcare writ large, but the future of academic medical centers or academic health. It's the triple threat, clinical care, research, and education. And really what he's getting at here is that the triple threat has been supported by the ability of academic medical centers to charge premium prices for the clinical care that we do. We are known for providing the most complex chronic care, trauma, pediatric intensive care, burn units, transplantation. In the state of California, UC Health provides 25% of those services. That market position has allowed us to charge premium prices, and we have grown dependent on those premium prices to support the triple threat, the research and education missions. And I hesitate to say this as a dean, but I think it has also allowed us to assume that inefficiencies in those other two missions, education and research, are tolerable because we've had the economics to pay for them. But the triple threat meeting the triple aim, where the triple aim is patient-centered care, population health, and a markedly reduced per capita expenditure on health. And how do we harmonize that demand of the triple aim of a remarkably reduced expenditure on a per capita health basis, remove that yellow ball down to the norm, and still accomplish the triple threat. And I think that's the challenge of academic medicine going forward. Now, Mark Larratt, who had to leave to, I think, pick up his mother-in-law, at least that's what he told me, <laughs> uh, is a futurist, but I would call him a realist. And when he was uh, a president uh, of the AAMC in his, in his talk as president, uh, he stated that while our core values as an academic health enterprise, and our purpose are immutable. All else in academic medicine is changeable and, in fact, needs to be changed. 
I won't go on to finish that quote because he said something about deans need to change. But he's been a great partner, and and I think uh, this quote is uh, remarkably prescient, and uh, uh, and we need to take it seriously. Change is going to be required. Now, one of the books uh, that made Ian Morrison uh, a a much uh, sought-after speaker uh, at conferences in healthcare and in other industries was a book he wrote now about 20 years ago called The Second Curve. The Second Curve refers, uh, as shown here, uh, to that uh, any industry, and he's talking broadly now, not just about healthcare, enjoys what is called the incumbent curve or the first curve, which represents the way things have been, our historic way of doing business. And over time, we incrementally improve on the way we have historically done business on that incumbent first curve, and steadily the performance of our industry improves. But we reach a tipping point, a point where there is disruption in the industry. Either new technology comes into play, or the price point becomes no longer affordable. And there are two possibilities. One, you follow a natural trajectory of decay shown by the dotted line. Your performance declines over time and you eventually go out of business. Let's think about a couple of industries who have followed that natural trajectory. The publishing industry, the music industry. When did you last buy a CD? The other option is to join what they call the nascent curve or the second curve to change the way you do business, adopt future and new technologies, think about new paradigms for your consumers, in our case, the patients and the families that we serve, new markets and new ways of getting our product, which in our case is not a widget, it's a changed human being. How do we bring that to market? So the question is, listening to signals coming from that nascent second curve. Sometimes they're disturbing signals. They're signals that you don't necessarily want to hear, but you ignore at your peril or else you follow the natural trajectory. Now, I like this paradigm, this construct of the second curve, because it in fact allows you, or at least has helped me, Uh, think a lot strategically because you can apply this second curve philosophy to almost any strategic issue in front of us. You can think about connecting to the past, as Clark Kerr said, which is riding the first curve, staying true to our mutable values, as Mark Larrod said, riding our mutable first curve, but also looking for signals and being prepared to inflect and join the second curve. So in healthcare, what is the inflection that we're facing in moving from the first curve to the second curve? And how well are we prepared in UC Health to do that? Another important point that Morrison draws out in the second curve is is an issue that he calls the velocity of change. 
That is that different change in the future is not all moving at the same velocity. And so we have to look, as you look down that list, of moving from the first curve to the second curve in healthcare delivery and try to assess the velocity of change in each of those things because they're not all going to be the same and trying to read the velocity of change is very important for developing tactics to accomplish that overall strategy of getting on to the second curve. But I think it's very clear that we are moving from a volume-based fee-for-service marketplace to a value-based payment rewarding efficiency marketplace. How quickly we're going to move between that first and second curve is much more difficult to predict. But we need to make a decision as to how quickly that change is coming and to adapt our tactics and strategy appropriately. And you can go down that list and you can make a different list. You would probably prioritize different issues on the first curve and you would probably use different language for the second curve but I hope you get the overall idea. Now, another important document that has come out recently was put out by something called the AAMC Advisory Panel on Healthcare. It was published about a month ago. It's called Advancing the Academic Health System, Looking Towards the Future. And they make a number of important points around academic health. And that is, and I think the the most important and the most salient for our discussion this afternoon is that the academic medical center, the very word center, suggests a singularity or a siloing, a single entity, a single corporation, a single facility, that that will be, re, will be replaced in the future by an academic medical system or an academic health system, a much more broad-based, much more encompassing, much more regional, and a much more heterogeneity in terms of the singularity of focus, but a system-based with strong aligned governance and management, evolved university relationships. By that, it means evolved relationships with the parent university, because by definition, a system is going to be bigger, and that's going to influence at least how we think about those three missions, the triple threat, to make sure we keep some element of balance as the clinical enterprise continues to grow at a rate faster than the other two missions. Evolved university relationships also means an evolved way and a more enlightened way of thinking about what has historically been called the town-gown problem. Uh, how can we think about respectful, mutually respectful, mutually rewarding and mutually embraced relationships with community providers along with the academic health system uh, so that we can broaden our reach but not have to own it or control everything that is done. And that is, in fact, culturally quite a challenge. Clearly new roles for physician leaders as physician executives and system leaders. Transparency in quality and performance I should say on that physician leaders, it should be health professional leaders. Transparency and quality of performance, we've heard a lot about that today. But if you can't measure it, you can't fix it. And so we have to get to consistent measurement. We have to own the data and be prepared to publicly address both our quality our successes as well as our 
quality challenges and to understand the business case behind what we do, understand the economics, the price transparency, and where the margins are needed to co-invest in the other academic missions. All of that is probably going to require a pretty radical reorganization of the operating model that we've historically uh, enjoyed in academic medical centers, where we have a great deal of autonomy of the various clinical departments. Department is considered successful if the department is successful. I think as we go forward, the restructured operating model is a department will be considered successful only if the health system is successful. Population health capabilities have not been the sweet spot of academic medical centers. We've tended to operate at the top of the pyramid in the most complex tertiary quaternary care, and I'm sure we will continue to operate in that space and continue to excel and dominate in that space, but it will no longer be sufficient to dominate in that space. We will have to in strong collaboration with a wide range of community partners, whether they be community hospitals, whether they be physician groups, whether they be allied healthcare providers in the community, and many, many other uh, alternatives, FQHCs, uh, and a variety of other community partners uh, to take responsibility for populations. Population health capabilities mean a, a level of technology and a, and, a facil and, a, and, a, and ability to manage information and data like we have never had before. That should be our sweet spot uh, to develop, along with our engineering schools, our business schools, etc., cetera, uh, to develop the new tools to truly uh, succeed in population health management, and then a revamped organizational culture to accommodate all of that. So another inflection point in going from the incumbent curve to the nascent second curve is instead of thinking about the health delivery system, we think about academic culture and what does that mean in going from the first curve to the second curve? Well, it means we have to go from being a hierarchical system to a collaborative system, an autonomous system where each department is an entity in and of itself, to a team-based system, and so on and so forth. You could put your names, your, your lists here, and move to a second curve. So finally, I'll end with a few words that are more specific to UC Health. We've talked about the fact that if we truly acted as an academic health system, we would, in fact, be quite a force. We have five academic medical centers and a burgeoning affiliated program associated with the new School of Medicine at Riverside. Today we have 10, and by, by the time I'm talking now, it's probably 12 uh, hospitals within our system, 3,000 beds, average daily census of 2,400, probably a more important statistic in today's world, 4 million outpatient visits, 8,000 physicians, an operating budget of 7.5 billion, should be billion, with a B. Just to put that in context, Kaiser, a pretty good health system, has an annual operating budget of 
50 billion. Ascension has an operating budget of 16 billion. Probably the closest academic health system to UC, UC Health, if we were truly a system, UPMC, Pittsburgh, a budget of 10 billion, Cleveland Clinic, a budget of 6 billion. But we've had a number of consultants come in to help us think about UC Health, and they all suggest that the survivors, those 100 health systems that Ian Morrison talked about, the smallest of them is going to need an operating budget of around 10 billion to get to scale. So, UC Health, I think we have a number of system options that we could think about. Number one, we could remain as five, soon to be six, independent academic medical centres. I'd posit that if we do that, we will be marginalised in the new healthcare world and we will survive, but we'll be considered boutique. We can do what we're doing today and that is each of us in our own regional markets merge into separate regional health systems. UCSF is certainly doing that in the Bay Area, as is UC Davis, as is UCLA, UC Irvine, UC San Diego, and UC Riverside. Or we could do what we've already started, but just accelerate it, make it more meaningful, make it more sticky, and form a true UC health system transform ourselves, grow, and allow the triple aim to meet the triple threat and sustain our education and research missions. So from a strategic point of view, how can you think about first curve, second curve, if we agree that that's the goal? Well, in the first curve, you tend to treat strategy as a triage problem. There's an incoming, you deal with it, and you move on. It tends to be short-term strategy. Certainly quality and cost have historically been hidden. Multiple care silos that aren't truly interacting, although we saw, saw tremendous project, uh, progress in that area throughout the day-to-day. -day. Our academic traditions frequently get in the way of efficiency, and we've got to overcome that. We need to move to a second curve when it comes to strategy. And clearly the emphasis on us getting together today and on my remarks this afternoon are on that third bullet, increased scalability and system-wide insights. But again, you could put your own list on the first curve, your own list on the second curve, and then begin to think about velocity of change, which are the highest priorities, which do we need to address this year, which do we need to address next year, which can be put off for two or three years. But again, I would posit not too many of these issues can be put off for more than a couple of years. So within UC Health, under Jack's leadership, and with full support of the regents, the chancellors, the CEOs, and the deans, we've been addressing this issue of scale to value if we truly acted as a system, if we truly got to scale and thought of ourselves as a singular system, what can we do around the absolute necessity to reduce cost? To reduce cost as a, as a system and a provider, 
but ultimately for society to reduce that per capita expenditure on health care. What can we do as a system to improve quality, not in isolated pockets within the system, but across the system, to spread the great ideas that come from the ground up? Similarly, what can we do as a system around innovation that we might have difficulty doing alone? A great example that comes to mind right now is how do we respond to the tremendous opportunity of genomic medicine, of applying genomics to clinical medicine? It's here, but it's enormously expensive. It's enormously difficult. And if we could leverage the system, we could bring innovation in ways that each one of us alone couldn't possibly accomplish. The same could be said in digital health and in many other areas. If we acted as a system and thought about branding and marketing together, we could be differentiated so that we were one of the surviving 100 consolidated health systems in this country and were looked to from Sacramento and Washington for leadership in terms of what the rest of the country should be doing. So we are starting with some small steps around cost, and I won't belabor these because Jack talked about them uh, today briefly uh, in his opening remarks, but just to let you know that we are actually uh, tackling the cost uh, problem. And CQHI is a tremendous example of how, as a system, we can begin to tackle the issues of quality improvement. Many of the posters around this room uh, show what can be done in terms of clinical, and I would add, education, uh, innovation across the system. Now, information technology, I think, is both an opportunity and a weakness for us. How can we consolidate, come together, uh, break down the silos of the IT between uh, and within UC Health so that we can truly leverage the power of the system because data, big data, a commonly used phrase right now, uh, but again, big data needs to meet new thinking. Big data needs to inform new ways of thinking about acting as a health system. So we have, I think, as we lead towards the future, tremendous opportunities. The ability to build a true statewide strategy and coverage for the state, not just six independent regions within the state. Use CHQI as a great foundation for a true learning healthcare system that is UC Health. Think about program synergies, clinical education innovations. We have a few examples where we're driving translational research across the system. The Athena Breast Care uh, uh, project is a, is a great example of that, but we should have dozens, if not hundreds, of examples, not just one or two. Branding as a system, marketing, so we become a national force, an international force. People know what we stand for, what our values are, and they're consistent across the system, not different across the system. We train 14,000 healthcare workers every single year. That's our future. And we should be thinking about the, how they become our ambassadors and advocates for UC going forward. And then an impact 
on state and national policy. So this is my last slide. We are currently six standalone academic medical centres. We've made great progress under Jack's leadership over the last five or six years to start moving up that curve, moving up our incumbent curve to regional academic medical systems, and I think are on the inflection point of getting onto the nascent second curve, that success curve that will take us to one UC Health. So thank you very much. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.